I can't control God. It's a risk you take, you know? I can't control the wind yeah. or God. So then it's, five seconds then I will call out the tour director, but I'm just saying that if the wind blows, there's nothing I can do about that. I can't control God. Talk to him. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. Did you know that you do that exactly the same way every time? Do you know that you've said this exact same thing <laughs> before? It's not a recording. It is live each time. <laughs> we've had many times where we sat down to record an episode and we wasted 20 minutes trying to start the audio. So that's where that comes that's from. That's so true. It hasn't happened in a long time. And yeah. that's why. We recently launched our GoFundMe over the weekend uh, upon the release of our WTA wrap. And thank you so, so much for everybody who's donated already. We very much appreciate it. We appreciate you regardless of whether you donate. But it will be going through the months of December and most of January. We always keep it up through the Australian Open. Not to sound greedy, that's just been the tradition. Well, the idea is that it's a, it's a hectic time for people money-wise, right? The holiday yeah. season. So there's a large birth if you're wanting to contribute but can't immediately or around Christmas time or what have you. Let's reiterate that although we're not allowed to run sweepstakes or rewards on the GoFundMe website, there is a, something of a tacit reward for folks who donate 100 or more. We will be sending you a new postcard and new bookmarks. And we had talked about on the last episode that if you donate $500 or more, that we will work with you to create a history episode. And that there were caveats. <laughs> the caveats being, if it's something we don't want to do, we won't do it. Right, but I, it would have to be, like, pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a discussion. We'll be yeah. working together to create something, essentially. You can find all the GoFundMe stuff on all of our socials, and of course at linktree.com slash thebodyserve. Now, our, our ATP wrap, you might be surprised to hear that the agenda is just as long, if not longer, than the WTA wrap, but I cannot imagine it will take quite as long to get through. It sure as hell will not. <laughs> I hope not. Before we get into that, there were a couple moments from the WTA season that we missed. One of them, we were, where were we? We were at the Mariah concert a couple nights ago, and we were walking outside and Cotton Eye Joe started playing. <laughs> and I hit your shoulder. I was like, how did we forget uh, that? Trauma flashbacks. That was uh, when Iga and Jesse Bagula were playing in Montreal. And I think Jesse was getting ready to serve it out or something. And the song started blasting during the match. And then they started playing it for her in subsequent rounds. And by the end of the tournament, she was known as Cotton Eye Jess. Right. It was which, truly wild. Which, after I found out what the song actually means, it felt disrespectful. Mm. And the other moment we forgot was Arena Sabalenka's photo shoot after winning the Australian Open. That was batshit in the most charming way possible. I don't think anything else needs to be said more on that. <laughs> Loved it. At the start of the 2023 season, we each offered a few things to look out for during the upcoming season. For men's tennis, 
we each had two things that we told listeners, hey, look out for this this year. Do you want to start with the two that you said? Sure. I said that two more members of the big four would be retiring this year. And I didn't specify whom, but I think it was probably obvious that it was probably going to be Murray and et al. And you were wrong. I was wrong on both counts. And I'm very happy about that. And the other one was another major domestic violence scandal will crop up in the ATP. And unfortunately, that was right. Who was it this time? Curios? That, that time was Tiago Zaibot Vilge. Mm. Uh, I'll talk talk about him in a little while. Well, we also had the Nick Curio situation as well this year. We did. Uh, we had already known about that, though, but we had the resolution of of the legal situation there. I said that we should look out if the ATP ever releases findings of its investigation into Zverev. And they did. In sometime in right after the Australian was, Open. It was the day after the Australian Open. Early February, right after the Australian Open, news dump from the ATP saying we couldn't find anything conclusive, but if something further were to emerge, we'll circle back to it. Something further has emerged, and they have yet mm. to circle back to it. I also said that we should be looking out for whether or not Rafa Nadal's streak of 900 plus weeks in the top 10 ends. And unfortunately, it did. It did. Unable to defend his Australian Open points. Unable to defend any points for the rest of the year following that early round loss there. And in the spring, he lost that top 10 streak. As we go through the winners of tournaments, the big tournaments on the men's side this year, on the Grand Slam level, we did not have any new winners. Last year, in 2022, Nadal won the Australian Open and the French Open. Djokovic won Wimbledon and Carlos Alcaraz won the U.S. Open. This year, in Rafa's absence, it was just Djokovic and Alcaraz taking the four big titles. Djokovic making all four finals, winning three, Australia, French, U.S. Open, and Alcaraz, surprisingly, winning Wimbledon Mm -hmm. in dramatic fashion. At the beginning of the year, it seemed like we were going to have either Carlos Alcaraz slowly start to take over the sport or have this duopoly at the top. Carlos reached number one for the first time after winning the U.S. Open in uh, September 2022. He won five titles that year, including Miami, Barcelona, Madrid. And at Madrid, he had wins over both Nadal and Djokovic in 22. The Carlos domination didn't happen as many people predicted, Djokovic, of course, still winning three of the four slams. And Carlos started to wane toward the end of 2023. Mm. He did spend 20 weeks at number one after winning the U.S. Open last year. Mm -hmm. We were also, at the beginning of 2023, witnessing Boris Becker being released from prison in the U.K. and deported from the country. I don't really know why I put this here, just because I'm (laughs) like that. And already, he was doing commentary for the Australian Open this year, and... What was next? Something big was coming. Well, by the end of the year, he was fully entrenched in Hulgaruna's camp. Yes, and Momager has announced that it has become a permanent arrangement. Permanent until it's not. for next year. Yeah. We mentioned the four slam titles. Djokovic also won the ATP finals. There wasn't much that Djokovic did not win this year. At the 1,000 level, Indian Wells, Alcaraz, Miami, Medvedev, Monte Carlo... Rublev, Madrid, Alcaraz, Rome, 
Medvedev. Now let's stop there. Those mm. are all the 1000s up until the grass season. And you have, but for Rublev in Monte Carlo, Alcaraz and Medvedev doing the thing. Yes. Medvedev was somebody who kind of threw a wrench in the plans of Carlos and Novak to dominate completely. We get to Toronto, and that's where Yannick Sinner starts to percolate. <laughs> because he will feature heavily toward the end of the season. He wins in Toronto, Djokovic in Cincinnati, Urkacz in Shanghai, and Djokovic again in Paris. On the 500 level, Rotterdam, Medvedev, Rio, Duminar, Acapulco, Cam Nori, Dubai, Medvedev, Barcelona, Alcaraz. There are three 500-level tournaments in the grass season. Halle was won by Bublik, Queens Club, Alcaraz, and Hamburg, that guy. Then we get to post-Wimbledon, Washington, D.C. is Dan Evans, Beijing, Sinner, and this is where he really kicked off. Tokyo was won by Ben Shelton, Vienna again, Sinner is the champion, and in Basel, Felix defends his title and salvages his year. The very last 500, at the last moment, Felix is able to get something done on the year. (laughs) Let's go through the season like we did on the WTA side. Starting off the year in Australia, Novak wins the Adelaide title. This is the first year he'll be back in Australia after getting kicked out of the country due to entering it without a COVID vaccine the previous year. And leading into Australia, even without all of this Djokovic drama and the vaccine stuff, there's always there's always stuff, right? Craig Tiley is a master at fomenting controversy and to get people talking about the Australian Open before it starts. Sometimes it's about the weather. Sometimes it's about vaccines. This time it was about Craig warning the Australian public, booing Novak Djokovic is illegal and you will be removed. Imagine that. And we said at the time that this was a way for Craig Tiley, the tournament director, to cover the the massive failures that he was responsible for during the whole Djokovic issue, the immigration issue the previous year. That he still has his job tells you everything you need to know about Craig Tiley and the power that he wields. Because mm-hmm. any other person in any other profession who orchestrated such a colossal fuck-up would be out of a job. And refused to own any part of it. Notable early on in the Australian Open, Andy Murray, do you remember this, was on court for ten and a half hours over the first two rounds. This was not something to celebrate. (laughs) It was not something that was enjoyable. I'm sure a lot of Andy Murray fans were celebrating. He beat the number 13 seed Berrettini in almost five hours. And then in the second round, he plays Kokonakis, who had won the doubles title with Nick the previous year, was being featured on Match Point, uh, that, which would release that month, right? Ahead of the Australian Open. And they played for five hours and 45 minutes, finished at 4 a.m. Andy wins, coming back from two sets to love down for, get this, a record 11th time in his career. The thing about doing that is... <laughs> well, I know what you're going to say. You do have to lose two sets first. And also... <laughs> You're putting so many miles on the body in a tournament where you're required to win seven best of five set matches. Yes. 
it's something that's plagued Kane Ishikori throughout his career as well. I feel like if you have one of these every couple of years, mm-hmm. you can the fans can really go along for the ride with you and celebrate it. But when it becomes slog after slog after slog, who is really happy about any of this? <laughs> I realize I'm being dour and sour about this. Yeah, you've been very down on Andy recently, to be honest. Nadal plays the only major of the year. He loses in round two to Mackenzie McDonald and discloses after that he's dealing with this psoas injury, which is a part of the hip. Originally, I you know, I looked through our agendas for the first part of the year and Rafa kind of strung us along for a while. <laughs> At first, it was six to eight weeks recovery. They didn't think surgery was necessary. They did a lot of rest and rehab, and then it, you know, it became 14 weeks, and he's still not back. No surgery, pulled out of the clay tournaments, kind of one by one, and then it became clear, well, no Roland Garros, and then finally it was no nothing. I need surgery. Well, I wouldn't call it stringing us along. He clearly did not want to have surgery. He did not. And so they took a conservative approach to try and uh rehab this injury and it didn't work there didn't seem to be any other alternative other than surgery if he wanted to ever play again Mm -hmm. and even then with the surgery it wasn't clear that that would happen it's only in the last week or so that he's told us definitively that he will be back in 2024 but it, it it also got us speculating do you remember throughout this whole process about his adherence to the medical team and the local nature of his medical team throughout his career and whether or not that best served his overall health. Yeah. With Rafa, everything is family. It's a very provincial lifestyle. It seems like the entire Nadal family is on the payroll. Everybody who works for him or with him basically lives in Mallorca. Pretty much everybody (laughs) who has these catastrophic injuries, these really serious injuries. You hear them getting second opinions from this leading surgeon in this part of the world, flying to New York to consult with so-and-so, Andy Murray talking to one of the Bryans to find out how did his metal hip go, then go get consultations from that doctor, you know? Mm-hmm. This seems to be a much more... It's, it's, a, it's a smaller medical it's world. It's, it's a, a smaller medical world for Rafa. The Nadal team has always been insular and he's been loyal to those people around him. After Rafa exits the Australian Open in the second round, it becomes the inevitable Djokovic story, mm-hmm. especially in the absence of Carlos Alcaraz. He did not begin his season until after the Australian Open. Right, right. And the whole thing was kind of like a funeral march. It was a misery tour. Djokovic was in a bad mood. He was pissed off about what happened last year. Craig Tiley was pissed off about what happened last year. Djokovic said, quote, the media are publicly lynching me. And then, of course, his father became a pariah after he was caught on film posing with the Serbian fans who had pro-Russia paraphernalia, who had a Serbian flag with Vladimir Putin's face on it. That became a huge deal. So much so that Daddy Djokovic was not allowed to attend the final. Well, well, th- the team, the decided. Djokovic team decided that would be best if mm-hmm. he did not attend. Djokovic beat Tsitsipas in straight sets, and the whole thing felt inevitable and also utterly joyless, which is fine. You know, that's your 22nd slam title. 
you wanted that, you wanted to prove a point. I'm sure it was enjoyable for the fans, but not really for anybody else. At this Australian Open, the perpetually persecuted, the perpetually put upon Djokovic was in his misery bag. <laughs> yes. Moving into the the winter spring season before we get to clay, Daniel Medvedev starts this a pretty impressive winning streak. He wins three events in three weeks in Rotterdam, Doha, and Dubai. He beat Djokovic in the Dubai semifinals, which snapped a 20-match win streak of Djokovic's. And then he gets to the Indian Wells final, losing to Alcaraz, which snapped his own 19-match win streak. Where he proclaimed, quote, This is not a hard court. (laughs) And then, apparently back in Miami, which was a hard court, Medvedev beat Yannick Sinner in the final there. This after Sinner beat Alcaraz in the semifinal. Also in that stretch, Wu Yibing became the first Chinese man to win an ATP title in Dallas, beating John Isner. Who is since retired. Mm -hmm. Going back through this season and looking at the results, we're here at the start of the French Open now, and we're getting a sense of who the top four players will be at the end of the year. It wasn't a tale of two halves. The same players kind of did the thing, with Yannick really coming to the fore toward the end. Mm-hmm. You saw Sinner in late stages frequently. Holger Rune is somebody who did really well over the clay and grass season and didn't continue that into summer hard courts because of an injury. But the clay season was a bit all over the place. In Monte Carlo, Carlos Alcaraz was not there He was dealing with post-traumatic arthritis in his hand, and his first few months of the season were very all over the place. You mentioned he pulled out of the Australian Open, then he won Buenos Aires, and then lost in the final of Rio to Nori, but was dealing with this That was this year? Yeah. I feel like that was last year. That was this year, and he was injured in that final, and then he misses Monte Carlo with a different injury. Monte Carlo being the site of Andre Rublev's first Masters 1000 title. It is also the site where we got the debut of the Rublev-Dimitrov boyfriend situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Monte Carlo also saw Daniel Medvedev clarify things between him and Zverev. Saying, quote, We were never really close friends, only in juniors. That's only him in his congratulations speeches saying something like he was friends with me and my wife, which is definitely not the case since long time. That was a keep my wife's name out of your mouth, Will Smith situation. Daniel's wife is close friends with Olya Sharapova, and that's likely, I imagine, contributing to a lot of the tension between those two. And also, Daniel may just not like the dude. It was important to get that on the record from Mm -hmm. Medvedev. Because previously we had speculated that when Zverev said these things about Medvedev's wife and about Medvedev and their relationship while he was in trophy presentations, while Daniel's wife is a captive audience, Mm -hmm. can't speak anything to defend herself or say otherwise, he's putting this out there. That we're all friends. That we're all friends, making a public case for their friendship, and that once casting aspersions on Sharapova by default. Totally. He was trying to ingratiate himself with the Medvedevs and look better by proximity to them. Totally deranged behavior. 
And so that was speculatory on our behalf until Daniil made it clear that this was not the case. Moving on to Barcelona, Carlos is back and he wins the first tournament back, beating Stefano Tsitsipas in straight sets. And then in Madrid, winning the title there, beating Jan Leonard Struff in the final. In one of the surprise results of the season, Medvedev beats Runa in Rome for his first clay title. I mean, we've talked over the years just how much Medvedev dislikes playing on clay. Every time the French Open comes around, (laughs) it's quite the ordeal for him. Right. And this shouldn't even be the place where he excels, right? Rome is supposedly the most like Roland Garros. It's old school, red European clay. It's not fast. At this tournament, Holger beat Djokovic and Kaspar Ruud, part of his excellent clay and then grass court season before injury, like you said, derailed his season. Mm -hmm. Rafa pulls out of Roland Garros, obviously. He misses the tournament for the first time since 2004. And therefore, Carlos and Novak come in as kind of co-favorites. The clay season, it's, it's a little odd this year. At the big tournaments, we have Rublev, Alcaraz winning twice, and Medvedev winning the big titles. Novak didn't win any titles. He had a few kind of iffy losses. But still, he comes in as a favorite or the favorite. And then we get to Paris, and right off the bat in the first couple rounds... Three of the biggest challengers for the title, out, right away. <laughs> Medvedev in the first round loses to Zaibush Vuj. You have here noted tennis's first proclaimed Nazi domestic abuser, question mark? Well, it's a question mark. So I, I don't think we can be sued, right? Uh, no, during, <laughs> during the spring, he was charged with assault against his ex-girlfriend. And in the midst of all this media attention... He clarified that, yes, his family were Nazis. And his grandfather was, like, really close with Hitler. Hmm. A truly baffling turn of events. Rublev lost in the second round to Sonego, and Yannick Sinner also in the second round to Altmaier. Medvedev losing is wild, too, because his success in the early part of the season pushes him to number two and creates the possibility of this Alcaraz-Djokovic semifinal. Which, of course, did happen. Lo and behold, another political shitstorm for Novak. Second slam in a row, he says, quote, Kosovo is the heart of Serbia. Stop the violence. Writing that on the camera lens after one of his wins. And then goes on to say, quote, a drama-free grand slam. I don't think it will happen for me. Mm-hmm. The, the call is coming from inside the house. He goes on to win Roland Garros without really being pushed. Semi-final with Alcaraz was a flop due to cramping from... This was this year? Yes, this was this year. Do you remember how highly anticipated... I mean, people were saying, like, this was the most anticipated match in a decade. Like, literally, people were so hyperbolic about this semi-final that it was almost like the universe smiled upon it and said, no. But really and truly, how many Novak-Rafa matchups at... Roland Garros have we had that would fit that bill and then some. (laughs) Yes, and they were all called the greatest clay court match ever. This is the problem with commentating and observing professional tennis is that there's always this need, this diabolical need to superlative everything. Mm -hmm. To have it be the best ever when obviously it's not. And this one was quite good for a while. 
Carlos did manage to win a set, and then in the fourth set had to retire due to cramping. It was one set all, right? Novak winning the first set, Carlos coming back winning the second, and then so. the cramping started to happen. And then it, it called into question what exactly is going on here? Like, how could this happen? And do you remember how many people were just arguing with each other about oh. whether this was fitness? But well, you've never had cramps. This is not how, how it works. There are five different specific types of cramps. And this one, to my trained eye, is number two. <laughs> yes. And therefore, you are wrong. Oh, no. There was a lot of... Carlos is pathetic in his physical training. Juan Carlos needs to do better. This is not befitting of a top two tennis player. This is amateur hour. It was wild. Mm-hmm. Like, this, this match brought out a lot of yappa 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 there was a lot of armchair diagnoses uh you know colloquial kind of anecdotal observations about cramping and here's why i think it happens remember you made me do homework and yes research mm-hmm. i read medical papers i don't know what i'm doing uh suffice to say a lot of those people were either wrong or misinformed and then these deeply unserious ATP players, they also let that guy into the semifinals. How, like, how dare you? A truly wretched occurrence. After winning Australia and Roland Garros, Novak Djokovic is on course once more for what, the third time in his career to possibly win the calendar year Grand Slam? And this is the third year in a row that a player has come into Wimbledon with the first two majors. Rafa, mm-hmm. last year. And Djokovic himself, the previous year. And it looks like it's all but certain. Pretty much. I mean, if outside of Australia, Wimbledon is the next one where he's practically impregnable right. at this tournament. Right. A few other things that were happening at Wimbledon. Chris Eubanks reaches his first slam quarterfinal. That this, was huge. This after his run in Miami. So two big... Ah, yes. Two big runs from Chris. And his big wins during this run were were Nori and Tsitsipas. A few people called out uh, the things we'll remember or the things that pissed us off from 2023 is Alejandro Davidovich Fokina's brain cramp, I guess. It was Where he underarm served in that deciding tiebreaker. Matt. Yeah. Third round versus Gruna. It's the fifth set. He had already... Not won two match points. He's led eight five <laughs> in the tiebreak. Differently, he had already lost two match well, points. I thought that was, you know, I like Alejandro, so I just wanted to be a little bit nicer. He had led eight five in that tiebreak. We get to eight all, and he makes the shocking choice to hit a serve underhand. Runa returns it easily, closes out the match, and that is that. I mean, within seconds, the match is over. And, I mean, people are just stunned. And then, to my mind, the match of the year. The final, the Wimbledon final. Yeah. Alcaraz beating Djokovic in a Wimbledon final. Crazy. You remember there was a 27-minute game in the third set with 13 deuces. Carlos broke Novak's streak of 13 straight tiebreaks won. And 15 straight tiebreaks at slams. Serving it out on his first try and on his first match point. This shocked me. For all the back and forth, right? For that 27-minute game, <laughs> for being in the fifth set, Djokovic just looked a bit deflated. I was just 
very, very surprised that Alcaraz was able to get out of that game. At this point, it's squarely Novak and Carlos at the top, neck and neck. We'd seen others try to this point. Medvedev had a great spring, crashed and burned at the French Open. Holger had a great clay season as well. All Yannick had a couple of good results. All these people potentially on the come up, trying to get to that really top spot. But at this point, it's squarely these two. I I, re- I remember thinking like, there's there's no doubt. Like this is mm-hmm. this is potentially the start of a truly great rivalry. And right. I think we likened it to the end of Martina's career when Steffi was on the come up, mm-hmm. looking at it as this rare opportunity where you have the old guard still at the top of their powers with an up-and-comer reaching the top of their powers and these two generations clashing for this really short period of time before, in this case, Novak retires. I mean, at this point, Carlos could be retired before Novak does. <laughs> but that was the general idea. Yeah, but it's it's something you didn't get with, say, Sampras and Federer. And I'm sure there are many, many examples where gotta, these, uh, these changing of the guard moments happen only when that legend is well past their prime. So that's not what's happening here, right? And that Alcaraz and Djokovic fighting for that top spot, I feel like lasted through Cincinnati and then it was fully done. It was done for the rest of the year. Yeah. Yannick Sinner wins Toronto. We were there on the free weekend to watch Yannick practice and didn't look good. I remember thinking like, I guess he looks okay. Didn't look good (laughs) to me. (laughs) Clearly very wrong. And he played a practice set against somebody and didn't look that great there either. I think it was Serundolo. Yes, that's what it was. Yes. Yeah. He wins Toronto, beating Alex de Menor, whom he has never lost to, by the way, including a win against him in Davis Cup this past week. In Cincinnati, we get another classic final between Djokovic and Alcaraz, this time four hours over three sets. It was also the site of the Creatina outburst. Yeah. If it's not one thing, it's another, I swear. Creatina! Creatina! U.S. Open, I feel like we... Or do you want to explain further in case folks miss that? I mean, he was screaming at his box for the creatine. Yeah. Uh, what, What else is there to explain? He has apparently some sports drink coming out that he'll be hawking at the Australian Open. Can I make my prediction? What is that? The next manufactured controversy from Djokovic will be this sports drink not being approved by the FDA. And it's another example of the establishment trying to take him down. Okay, we shall see. That's what I think is going to happen. All right. One of the biggest stories at the U.S. Open, a year after Francis Tiafo made the semifinals in New York, Ben Shelton made his own fairytale run to the semifinals, along the way beating Karatsev, Tommy Paul, Tiafo as well, before Djokovic hung up the telephone on him. <laughs> do, you remember, do you remember what a big deal this was? Ben also played mixed doubles with Taylor Townsend. He was truly the the homegrown star of this U.S. Open. It was his coming out party. On the men's side. Uh, Right. Well, yeah. Oh, God. (laughs) I hope that doesn't need to be clarified. Well, his rumored girlfriend did did something (gasps) at that tournament. Shut your mouth. (laughs) But 
you know, Ben has a lot of bravado. He was doing the the telephone hang-up celebration. I still know what it means. Some people are like, oh, if you watch college, you would know exactly what he means. Like, I don't know what it means, okay? I don't even watch sports outside of tennis. Telephone love. What is that? You sound so sweet on the line. Wait, what is that? It's J.C. Lodge. Who is that? Jamaican artist. Oh, okay. Who went to high school with my mother. Oh. That hand gesture with the phone thing, though. It seems so silly, but it caused so much outrage. It did. I mean, we talked about it on the show. We had opinions. Sure. Ultimately, we didn't think it was that big of a deal, but we thought it was beneath somebody like Djokovic to be doing that. We felt it was punching down. I And I, I felt, above all, it was corny. Yes. It just felt very, very corny. Uh, but people were mad about Shelton and Townsend and mixed doubles, too, saying they were too demonstrative. And you know we've heard this shit before. Uh, I'm sure the word class was uttered many times. But Ben follows up that quarterfinal in Australia, bookends it with another big event, and prevents Francis from reaching a second straight semi here. Medvedev plays one of the matches of his life, at least that I've ever seen, in the semifinals to beat Alcaraz. And then the final, honestly, I don't really remember that much from it. I remember there was a very long, long second set, and there was so much drama and theater about Djokovic. Uh, but he won. Right. The The result was never really in, in danger. No. And the the hope, at least on our part, was that after Medvedev had beaten Carlos in such a clinical way, playing some of the best tennis of his life, withstanding everything Carlos threw at him, that he had returned to his best form on his favorite surface. This is a former champion mm-hmm. at the U.S. Open. And it was so disappointing to not see that level in the final. Of course, naturally, part of that is due to your opponent. <laughs> right. Like, this is Novak Djokovic, after all. I'd kind of hung my hat on the fact that Novak hadn't really had his best results historically in New York. And he really was not pushed in this tournament. You remember Taylor Fritz did not show up at all against him. Then he gets Shelton in the semis. But for those hoping that Medvedev would do something similar as he did in 2021, Novak didn't have the baggage coming into this match. In 21, he was extremely nervous about potentially doing this calendar year Grand Slam, and it totally ate away at him. He was not himself during that final. That was not an issue here. History made. Novak did something Serena never could. Rarefied air. With Margaret. The greatest ever. Sharing the throne with St. Margaret. <laughs> feels feels right to me. In the fall, let's speed through this because we've just done it. Holger hires Boris. Yannick Sinner basically changes his entire career. Wins Beijing. Wins Vienna. Runner-up in the ATP Finals. Wins Davis Cup for his country, which we'll talk about in a second. Two wins over Novak Djokovic. It, it was just... On the same day, within hours. Oh, okay, then three wins. Two wins in singles and one in doubles in Davis Cup. Urkacz wins in Shanghai. Novak wins his seventh Paris Masters, beating one of the feel-good stories of the fall, a resurgent Grigor Dimitrov, in the final. Adrian Manorino sneakily won three titles this year, winning in Newport, winning in Astana, and then winning in Sofia. 
And then the finals, I don't think we'll talk about that. You know, we just covered the ATP finals. Novak Djokovic won his seventh, I think, beating Sinner in the final after Sinner had beaten him in round robin. The very last event of the tennis season, something we haven't covered on the show, Davis Cup. This is fresh material. Yannick Sinner, of course, had that great fall run. He, some say, fumbled the bag in going all out, trying to beat Holgaruna at the ATP Finals, and thus allowing Djokovic to qualify by default into the semifinals, where, lo and behold, Djokovic beats him in straight sets in the final. They go off to Spain the next week to play Davis Cup, and lo and behold, Italy versus Serbia in the semifinal. And what happens? Yannick Sinner did the thing. Yannick beats Novak again for the second time in two weeks. Italy, led by Sinner, Sonigo, and Matteo Arnaldi, win their first Davis Cup since 1976, a team that featured Pietrangeli and Panata. Yannick went undefeated that week in both singles and doubles. Sinner and Sonigo teamed up to win the uh, deciding doubles matches over both Netherlands and Serbia. In the final against Australia, there was no deciding doubles match because Italy won the first two singles matches, with Arnaldi beating Popirin and Sinner beating Dimenauer 6-3, 6-love, and he's now 6-0 against him. There was some controversy on the Italian team, and I had to go ser- searching because I don't really follow Italian language press anymore. I, there was a time that I did. But I had heard on Twitter that there was this beef between Pietrangeli and Sinner. And uh, apparently what had happened was Pietrangeli is, of course, a legend of Italian tennis, Davis Cup winner. He has a court named after him at the Rome Masters Tournament. And he said at one point, while Sinner is the best Italian player in his opinion, he's not a big fan of his style. But it got worse. He told La Repubblica that Sinner's a good boy, but two lifetimes wouldn't be enough to surpass Nicola himself in, uh, <laughs> in winning, right? And in September, he was highly critical of Yannick's choice not to play the Davis Cup group stage, which happened in Bologna. He said, quote, if you refuse Davis and go play elsewhere, you must be disqualified. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if they had disqualified Yannick Sinner because he didn't play in the group stage in September. Now, Pietrangeli also said that the only politician he admires is Georgia Maloney, so do do with that what you will. But uh, that that's who we're dealing with. But now, now that Yannick led the Italian team to the Davis Cup title, it's K. Sinner. He, he said he was a baby and now he's a man. Era un bambino, ora è un uomo. Did yeah, I say that okay? That's pretty good. Oh, yeah. wow. <laughs> and there was a lot of chatter in the italian media about this alleged dirty look that yannick gave to pietrangeli when nicola came on stage or on the podium after the the win now there is no way for us to know if sinner was looking at pietrangeli at that time he also just has that kind of face i don't mean that in a rude way like yannick just does a lot of sort of deadpan stares you know that is kind of his thing so i cannot confirm nor deny that that was a dirty look wouldn't be surprised if it was 
But this is just a, a huge result for Italy. What happened during the World Group playoffs in September? Yeah. And I remember tweeting about this because I was excited. The defending champion Canada showed up to World Group with its B team. They didn't have Felix or Dennis. They were playing Galarno and Diallo in singles. And Canada blanked the Italian team, 3-0. Uh, Galarno beat Sonigo, Diallo beat Musetti, and then Galarno Pospisil won the doubles, which was an incredible result for the Canadian team. And luckily for Italy, they beat Chile and Sweden in those other two rubbers. They still call them rubbers? Ties? Um, ties, uh, ties. Ties, yes. The the format's so different now. And that was thanks to our Arnaldi and Sonigo in singles in both of those ties. So on the strength of winning two out of three ties, they yes. made the finals. But Canada made it interesting for them. And I always say, I'm always going to big up the women. This was 10 years after that Italian team won their fourth and to this day final Fed Cup. And a number of the contemporary Italian men talk about growing up watching those women play tennis and being inspired. Yannick Sinner, what is next for him now? Well, how does this fall season change the trajectory of his career? How does it set him up for 2024? Is he a different player now? Well, I don't know. As always, I'll proceed with caution. As Mariah said. As always, I will say I want to see it in best of five. Exactly. But That's why. But these results weren't nothing. No. No. I don't want to downplay how big these results were, especially the wins over Djokovic. But it is indoor and it is best of three. So we will see. Djokovic was in tears after losing in the semifinals. Yeah. Yeah. He was upset. Okay. Statistics. Most titles on the season. Novak Djokovic with seven. By all metrics, this is one of his best seasons ever. I know. And And he he only played like 12 tournaments. He didn't even have to play that much. He did not play that much, (laughs) but he practically won everything he he played. Made eight finals. Won all but one of them. Carlos had six titles. Medvedev five. Yannick Sinner four. Those are the top four ranked men in men's tennis. Mm -hmm. The most doubles titles... Actually, six men tied with five titles. Isn't that interesting? And those guys are Dodig, Austin Krychek, Santiago Gonzalez, Maximo Gonzalez, Roger Vaseline, and and Andres Molteni. And sorry, I probably fucked up. Uh, it's probably like Roger Vaseline, something like that. <laughs> something closer to that. <laughs> Apologies. I really do try. Notable head-to-heads on the season. Djokovic had a 3-1 and record against Carlos Alcaraz. Sinner went 2-1 and one against Alcaraz. And Sinner versus the top 10, 13-6. 9-1 from Beijing onward. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the notable piece. Djokovic was 17-5 and five against the top 10 in 2023. These are big numbers for Yannick. Mm-hmm. And really upends uh, a trend through his career so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually have a quiz for you. You have a quiz for me? I do. Well, before we get into that. Oh, you have a quiz for me? I just know. I just want to offer a caveat, a footnote of sorts for maybe the newer listeners. Um, Regarding? We are are explicitly biased against Novak Djokovic. (laughs) If that has not come through clearly on this show, this is what you've signed up for. 
Okay. I, I mean, yeah. Yes. Actually, I don't really know what my counterpoint was. No, it's just a statement I mean, of we fact. Are, we are biased, period. Yeah. And we are honest about... That's basically the whole ethos of the show. Honest about our bias. Right. Yeah, and I think the bias against Novak has gotten a lot more pronounced in the past few years just because of how he carried on during and after the pandemic. Yes. I think it's earned, personally, but you may disagree. Yeah. So, again, as always, I know there's probably an expected level of fervor and reverence that one would expect typically from a tennis podcast when discussing Djokovic and his accomplishments and his feats. This is not that show. And there are many of them that do that. Girl. So supplement us with them if you need that as well. Do you remember when I, I think it was earlier this year, I was talking about uh, at the time... Biden had not lifted the pandemic travel rules. Yes. It was, so it was, it was unclear if he was going to be in the Indian March was, swing. Yeah, right? yeah. So it was touch and go there. And then I was annoyed because like lifting a lot of these emergency orders also removes a lot of subsidies for healthcare in the U.S. Things that were temporarily free during the pandemic were no longer free, like testing and this is what happens when you live in a country with fully private healthcare like the US. And I was like, and I don't actually care if Novak plays. And people, to quote Nini, bitches was mad. <laughs> I mean, they were, they could not believe that a podcaster said they didn't care whether or not Novak was there. Actually, I didn't. Like, and the reasoning is that players miss tournaments or retire all the time like and life must move on yeah anyway quiz time are you trying to embarrass me i i hope not mm -hmm. I, I don't think so famous last words my i just opened my google drive and the search was cotton eye joe i am definitely feeling like i'm giving dumb bitch energy today so that's okay. my well are you that's my disclaimer it's it's not a long quiz don't worry okay the first one can you name two players who won their first ATP titles this year? Archu Fies. Yes. And Ben? Yes. Ben Shelton? Oh. Yes, both correct. I was thinking maybe he had won one at the end of last season. Okay. There, there actually weren't many. There were only six. Oh. Which I feel was pretty low. The Hit others, me with the other four. The others are Chris Eubanks. Oh, yep. Should have gotten that. Uh, Wu Yibing, mm -hmm. who you... we actually mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, Greek Spore. And, would not have gotten that And one. Pedro Kachin. Would not have gotten that one. Okay. Okay. Can you name someone other than Novak mm. who has defended a title this year? Defended a title this year. I feel like quite a few people have done. I know uh, Daniel Medvedev has not done that. Still yet to <laughs> uh, do that in his career. Although that was not the question. That is correct. Carlos did. Yes. And a bonus point if you know which one it was. Carlos did it in Madrid. Barcelona. Ooh. Mm. Close. But well, he did win Madrid. He did, yes. Okay. Close in the calendar. Do you do you want to guess? There are only two others, actually. Two others. Four four players total. So we got Carlos. Felix did no, it in Basel. Yes. And Andre? Andre who? Rublev. Oh. 
<laughs> no. <laughs> the other one, uh, this one I think is a little bit harder. This was Runa oh. in Munich. I was going to say Runa at one point, but I just oh. I couldn't and pinpoint actually, where it was. Well, you didn't even have to give me the tournament. It was just asking for the player. But well done. Well done. That's the quiz? No, there's one more. Oh. This, I think, it will probably be the hardest question. Oh, dear. Only three players have won both a singles title and a doubles title this year. Not even at the same place. Just a singles title and a doubles title. Can you name one of them? Manorino? No. Hmm. Actually, I guess would be a good guess, but no. <laughs> Rublev? Yes. How did you know that? Because he plays doubles. I figured. Hmm. Um... How many you said have done it? Three. I mean, I only required one, but... Three have done it, and I've gotten Rublev. So then, uh, Holger? No. Carlos? No. <laughs> you Are you going through the top ten? <laughs> uh, Gael? No. Okay, no, I'm done. Stefanos and oh. Petros. Oh dear, oh yes, we did talk about that recently. And Karen Hachanov. Would not have gotten that. Who's out here doing propaganda oh, exhibitions? <laughs> Miss, uh, Including... lots of people have asked, what is up with Svetlana Kuznetsova? Wait. And lo and behold, now this here she too, comes. This was too funny. Uh, this exhibition is going to be played in Russia, I guess sponsored by Gazprom, like the Russian gas company. And they released a photo of all the people playing, and Manorino is among them, a few Russian players, Roberto Bautista, which is random, and Svetlana Kuznetsova. And I looked at you and I said, she don't even play tennis anymore. That's how serious that is. Well, apparently there's a legend section <laughs> in this exhibition, okay. so maybe she's part of that. I don't know. That's, that's how patriotic she is. <laughs> all right. I have an off-court section, which will not be exhaustive. Uh, but I did want to mention a few things that were percolating on the business side and just non-tennis related. We mentioned the Zverev investigation, which was concluded by the ATP directly after the Australian Open with insufficient evidence. But they explicitly left open the possibility of reopening that investigation if more information were to come to light. Now, Zverev was charged publicly in July with bodily harm based on a case brought by his ex-partner Brenda Patea and we learn that the ATP had known about those allegations since October 2021. This was <laughs> taking a long I mean it took a very long time to wind its way through the courts. Which makes you wonder whether that prior knowledge was what made them drag their feet so long in releasing the findings from their investigation and if it's the reason why they added that wordage saying mm -hmm. should something else come to light we'll revisit it because they knew that something else was in the pipeline so new information has come to light of course which is the patea charges it's the penalty order issued against him in a berlin court and the subsequent appeal so we don't know what the atp is going to do if anything Around the same time, in February, the Kyrgios case was resolved. He was uh, brought up on charges of assaulting his ex-girlfriend, Kiara Pasari, and he pleaded guilty to common assault. He had originally, or his lawyers, had filed to have the case dismissed on mental health grounds, 
And the judge said, no, definitely not. Um, didn't accept that. However, the judge ruled that his actions were on the lower end of what is considered common assault legally. If you were wondering if he was... Contrite. Contrite. Yeah, that was the word I was looking for. Well, he and Kokonakis made light of it and made jokes about it on Twitter shortly after, so I guess not. That might be an unfair assumption on my part. He played one match the entire year, a loss to Yibin Wu in Stuttgart. And then we see him resurface for the, was it Davis Cup? It was a, I don't know. He was on Tennis Channel. Doing commentary. Doing commentary, giving the best predictions, the most impressive predictions, the most correct predictions that you've ever seen on TV. So I guess uh, I, this is what we're in for. I mean, it would only be fitting, right? Because commentators, well, like John McEnroe, thrive if they're reckless, but principled commentators don't really thrive. You know, you they only want honesty if it's mean and not very studied. But if you want people to talk about, you know, abuse charges against players or other important things that are happening outside of tennis, that's not really a priority for the networks. The ATP continued to promote Zverev fervently the entire year, mm -hmm. labeling him comeback player. Comeback kid. Comeback kid. Oh, we'll get there in a During second. the ATP finals. Tennis Channel clearly not giving one iota about this admission of guilt from Kyrgios in February mm -hmm. to then have him on air. Well, I mean, the judge herself sort of gave him an out saying this is a pretty low level example of common assault. She was incredibly sympathetic to him in her ruling. But enough about that. Do you remember the Cosmos ITF deal? Remember yes. that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> A 25-year, uh, like, several billion dollar deal to transform the Davis Cup. Everybody's pissed off about what Davis Cup looks like now. I'm kind of agnostic about Davis Cup, to be totally honest. I don't think it was really flourishing before, nor do I think it's really flourishing after. But I do like that Gerard Piquet was made to look foolish because of everything that happened with Shakira and the Strawberry Jam. Oh my um, god. And... and PK's mom allegedly Bruja. laying laying hands on one of the biggest pop stars in the world? Are you joking? <laughs> but anyway, the Cosmos ITF deal collapsed earlier this year after, what, not even five years into a 25-year plan. I searched around for what was going on here, and the last update I saw was in July— and that was Cosmos was attempting to sue the ITF for damages in the Court of Arbitration for Sport. So I don't know if that has been heard yet, but that's that's the last I heard about it. The ATP introduced Baseline, which was their trial program for guaranteed earnings, injury protection, and investment in young players. And now on the WTA side, they're trying to push for a similar thing. There was that. And then now we're getting this new reporting that... The Grand Slams are trying to band together to purchase the Masters 1000 tournaments to create, in effect, this super tour. It's described as akin to the Grand Prix circuit in motorsport. In F1. Yeah. F1. And the ATP and the WTA will then be left to govern the 500s and below. <laughs> I don't know how they're going to make money. The ATP and the WTA. <laughs> yeah. 
this uh, this was actually leaked by John Wertheim first with just a, a tweet, really, and then reported more fully by Matt Futterman. And uh, I've added this into the agenda just because it is notable, but I really haven't had time to look into it. And I don't want to dismiss it out of hand, but I simply don't know enough. And I don't I don't know anything about Formula One. Do you? No. Because there are... A lot of my timeline does, though. I swear, <laughs> no. I swear, 50% of my timeline on Sundays is F1. It, it, it is. And that guy, Charles. Yeah, Mr. Leclerc. Very handsome Cutie. fellow. yeah. As is Mr. Hamilton. Well, pff, obviously. I mean, these two are just... And his little nose stud. Smoke shows. Mm-hmm. But uh, like people were like, oh yeah, it's, it's very similar to the F1 setup. And I'm like, okay, what is that? <laughs> so we've only mentioned it to say more to come uh, and once we do our homework. At the start of the year, we each made our breakout picks for who would have bust out years on the ATP Tour. We divided it into three categories. Players ranked 50 and higher, as in... 50 and better than 50. Mm-hmm. You know how that confuses me. Ranked 51 to 100 and then outside the top 100. This is, I would say, our only real predictions that we make every year. You picked on the men's side because you're loyal, babes. Mm-hmm. I'm loyal. Loyal. Davidovich Fokina. <laughs> I feel like you pick him every year. I probably One do. year you just hope to see him at number one. It, it's gonna. Ha- it's gonna happen. He rises six pots to number 26. His best result being a Toronto semi-final. Yijile Hechka, Australian Open quarterfinal. Wimbledon round of 16. Winston-Salem runner-up. He's up to number 31. Mm-hmm. That was a good pick. You're kind of blowing through this. Alejandro yeah. was a so-so pick because he didn't really rise that much. And he had that shocking, horrible uh-huh. thing at Wimbledon. Uh, Lehechka was, I think, a very good pick. Also a very popular pick at the start of the year. Okay. Dominic Team and Sisu Bergs. From outside the top 100. Mm-hmm. Dominic Team is now just inside the top 100. He did make the Kitzbühel final in Australia, losing to Baez. Overall, he didn't make the type of progress that I was hoping for. And then Berks, uh, is his ranking actually got worse. Mm-hmm. He's number 153. He, f- But I he did win two challengers. I feel like that was your version of the Diane Parry. Pick. Yes, like, I don't really know them, but you I'm just, just gonna... just like, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. what's <laughs> going on here? I like that name, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. And now on your picks... From top 50, I picked Jack Draper. I may pick him again for next season. He was derailed by injury this season, so that's not his fault, and it's not mine. I think you should continue to pick Jack, because people who know things, like, really believe in him. I also picked Lehechka, but I also picked Jason Kubler as well. That was not a good pick. However, in doubles, that would have been a good pick. Mm -hmm. Made the ATP finals in doubles. And won the Australian Open. I was tempted to pick Ben Shelton. I I had that noted. You can go back and listen. I said I was going to pick Ben Shelton, but everybody's going to pick Ben Shelton. So I'm not going to do that. But had I picked Ben Shelton... (laughs) Well, clearly... (laughs) And then I also picked Stan Wawrinka from outside the top 100. He's now top 50. So it's oh. it's something. All right. Stan moving into his 39th year. Not on tour, but in life. <laughs> <laughs> the ATP Awards. Do we want to talk about 
Yeah, yeah. We won't take as long as we did with the women. There are some some awards that are voted on by players, and one is voted on by coaches, which is coach of the year. The four categories voted on by players are comeback player, MIP, newcomer, and the Stefan Edberg Sportsmanship Award. MIP, you're just assuming everybody knows. Doesn't, most improved player. Mission impossible. <laughs> and I do appreciate that the ATP has very clear criteria, unlike the WTA, about what these categories mean. Okay. So the nominees for comeback player, Kepfer, Mofis, Struff, and that guy. Mm-hmm. This is for a player who has overcome serious injury and reestablishing themselves as one of the top players on the ATP Tour. So this is explicitly about injury and doesn't specify rankings, jumps, or anything like that. Right, but rankings jump-wise, it's Struff. Yeah. But sentimentally, it's Mofis for me. Yes. Struff from number 150 to 25. I think Struff has has a shot at it. Runner-up in Stuttgart and Madrid. Mofis winning a title in Stockholm. We all know this is voted on by players. And we all know who the ATP wants. Zverev is going to win this thing. Mm. Even if he legitimately did have a big comeback, it's disgusting to me that this is going to happen. Most improved player? Meaning the player who reached a significantly higher Pepperstone ATP ranking by year's end. And who demonstrated an increasingly improved level of performance through the year. The nominees, Matteo Arnaldi, saw him against Archufis at the US Open. Mm. Chris Eubanks, Ben Shelton, Yannick Sinner. All of these guys had impressive improvements Arnaldi jumped almost 100 spots to number 44, won three challenger titles, but doesn't have a, a kind of a signature result on the ATP tour except for the Davis Cup. Chris Eubanks fighting to get into and stay within the top 100 at the start of the year is all the way up to top 40. He's on the cusp of being seated at the Australian Open. Ben Shelton, we know he made the semifinals at the US Open quarterfinals in Australia as well. Two big results at slams for him this year. A lot of hype. A lot of electricity about his game. That's a Billy Elliot reference. Electricity. Electricity. And Yannick Sinner, who... Yannick is my vote. I think he deserves it, even though he was already an established top 10 player. I think his improvement is that uh, important. Newcomer of the year, which is the hashtag NextGenATP player who broke into the top 100 of the Pepperstone ATP rankings for the first time in 2023 and made the biggest impact on the ATP Tour this season. I love that you kept the branded ATP ranking, the Pepperstone ATP rankings. (laughs) But you have it written here. Well, I I copied and pasted it. Okay. (laughs) But this is clearly, uh, this is great tie-in because this category is actually promo for the next-gen finals as well. Which is happening currently in Jeddah? Uh, Jeddah. Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. Yep. The well, nominees are Koboli, Fies, Mickelson, Stricker, and Van Asche. What is this, golf? Phil Mickelson? <laughs> oh, Steve Stricker. Steve Stricker? <laughs> <laughs> so Fies is, I think he's the number one seed left remaining in the next-gen f- 
field. So if you go by ranking points, he's actually way ahead. Top 50 player, may even be top 40, I think, at this point. Mm. But I believe there are four technical next-gen players who are not playing in the next-gen finals because they're actually top players on the main tour. The award that's going to have some people really mad, big mad. Every year. The Stefan Edberg Sportsmanship Award Nominees being Carlos Alcaraz, Grigor Dimitrov, Ubi Urkac, and Yannick Sinner. No Novak Djokovic. No, not nominated. I I don't really have a have a, a preference here. Uh, I, I we think... lived through a decade and a half of Fedal fans fighting amongst themselves whether Rafa or Roger were. <laughs> The bigger, humanitarian, nicer guy, (laughs) best person. This award is funny to me because it's voted on by players, yet the fans were extremely pissed off that Novak never got it. So what is that telling you? We'll, We'll leave that there. But Novak, I mean, I do think it's fairly ridiculous that two men won it from 2004 to 2021. Because I'm like... What is it recognizing? Ten, like 10 of these things, it's probably sufficient, right? You feel sufficiently recognized. Well, tell that to Rafa at Roland Garros. <laughs> 10 of those things no, is sufficient. Those, those are clearly earned. Like, that's unequivocal. I would like if the Sportsmanship Award were based on, you know, if you could call on a very specific moment and award that. Like when you submit your Emmy reel? Exactly. Like it's about your overall sportsmanship but maybe there's also a specific moment that voters can look to stefan edberg best sportsmanship award <laughs> last year kasparud was the first dude to break the federer nadal duopoly mm-hmm. with this award as you mentioned it had run from 2004 to 2021 coach of the year you said this is voted on by fellow coaches yes i think somebody who has a lot of heat behind them they're Rising up the charts with a bullet, Darren Cahill. Oh, yes. And for Yannick Sinner. He's going to carry Simone Vagnozzi with him. Craig Boynton, who is the coach of Ubi Urkac, Juan Carlos Ferrero, Alcaraz's coach, Goran Ivanisevic for Djokovic, and Brian Shelton for his son, Ben Shelton. Mm-hmm. And the award goes to Darren Cahill. There has actually never been a repeat winner in this category, it's only been around since 2016. And Juan Carlos Ferrero won it last year. We're in the home stretch of we are. tennis season, tennis podcasting season. One final slew of segments. <laughs> okay, a slew. Before oh. our season ends, and then we'll have our history episode to come. Yes. And who knows, maybe we'll come up with some other stuff as well. Who knows? In December. We, we don't know, you know? Like we have this GoFundMe going. Maybe there'll be a bonus episode somewhere. Oh, maybe we'll surprise ourselves and surprise you in the in the next breath. As always, we asked you on Twitter what we remember most from the season. Most of your responses were WTA related, but here are some of the ATP things. I don't know why I said it like that. Uh, <laughs> Ellen Courtney as well as CL Morin 61 both told us that they were missing Rafa big this year. As yeah. were we. Me too, ladies. Mm-hmm. We thought at some point this year that maybe we'd seen the last of Rafa. And I'm legit really excited to watch him play again. Yeah. 
so excited. Feels like a gift. In a way, it's an even bigger gift because my fandom and watching him play will be unencumbered by goatdom, by record chasing, mm-hmm. by all that nonsense and mess and noise. I can just watch him play tennis. Shannon Clark and at Luis both said watching Alcaraz win Wimbledon was something they'll remember most. And it was maybe harder to believe now, but it was a truly shocking moment. Mm-hmm. It was the match of the year for me. I think I said that already on the men's side. I truly enjoyed that one. Chris Eubanks, Cousin Candy, and Rakiteki. And uh, Rakiteki, or Jimmy, he also posted pictures of four players in response. His four kids. I th- I don't know if they're all officially his kids. You know, he has adopted Andre and several others, I think. But they were Chris, Andre, Gael, and Coco. It's a pretty good list. Chris Eubanks had a big year. His profile in tennis went up. And then some. He's back on Tennis Channel this week doing commentary, I think, for the next-gen finals. That's where it all started for him this year. That stretch of commentary that he did for the first time. Possibly thinking about his career after tennis because he hadn't had the big breakthrough yet and then he killed it on tennis channel and then started killing it on the court it's always smart to plan for your career after it's just that we're not quite ready for that moments that pissed you off in 2023 as well as some of the funniest moments and y'all really just said that the atp doesn't exist because basically all the responses to this question when we posed it were for wta (laughs) you said men aren't funny Stephanos and the bee, especially when he swatted it away, priceless. That's from Dustmill46, as well as Kvitikat53. This was just incredible. This was theater. In Cincinnati, a woman in one of the front rows buzz, 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 was buzzing. Buzz. It, it allowed me to recall my childhood with Miss Beswick and right. the bee's story, mm-hmm. if you remember that. Yep. I am not a bee's. <laughs> that was so good. The Phantom Swat? I mean, you all submitted only two funny moments from the ATP, and they both included Stephanos. The other one being, quote, Stephanos Tsitsipas regrets using sleep aid melatonin before Roland Garros lost to Carlos Alcaraz. That was from at InsideOut2912. Uh, you don't say. We've taken melatonin. We've, we have sleep gummies here. Yeah, and sometimes you wake up the next morning, even after you get a full night's sleep, like pretty groggy. Yeah. We use that other one, the one that Serena is a like sponsor of, or... Oh, yeah, what is that one called? It's the purple one with the blackberry flavor. Sleep? Is that what know. it's called? I, luckily, they're not paying us because we're not doing a good job. <laughs> but he talked about this in press. He said like he had a late start for that Alcaraz match. It was 8.30 p.m. Ollie, Ollie. Ollie. Is the name yes. of it. And he said he wasn't sleeping that well during the tournament... And he just needed a nap and he, you know, it didn't help him. He also disclosed previously that he had taken melatonin before a match against Djokovic in the Paris Indoors 2019, which he lost 6-1-6-2. So you gotta stop with the melatonin. At the start of the year, we had asked what were your hopes for the 2023 season to the listeners. And at Danspirational said Berrettini and Gibber at the Wimbledon Ball. Almost there yeah. with Ons. We were Almost. close on one of them. RG15 or WM3 for Rafa. That was from Milena. Or another slam for Andrescu or Vika. Or, and or, an Iga-Naomi rivalry. 
I know this is the men's episode, but uh, I for <laughs> I actually found this in our old agendas, and I wanted to to mention it because we did ask you for your hopes, and we should figure out what happened to those hopes. Did they come true? Ryan said that he wanted Curious to retire. <laughs> I mean, could happen. Close enough, I guess. Or, or as well as a Canadian Slam win. Nowhere near happening this year. <laughs> wow. Damn. Do you remember Optimist, Kieran? Mm-hmm. We went had a, a lot of back and forth on this one. Because I guess oh, I, wasn't, I wasn't very nice about it. Oh, about Dominic? Yes. They had said that they wanted Dominic in the second week of at least one major. And I think I'd said, wow, how low the expectations have fallen. Right. But because that I feel like you like, didn't mean it I like didn't. that. No. Like to be mean. No. You know, that we should expect yeah. that. Unfortunately, that did not happen this year. And I, I really wanted it to happen. And Francisco Luis said, quote, it, this always bears repeating, quote, I hope for the season to not be as heavy with foolery on our souls and more joyous with the actual game. How did that work out? So much foolery, <laughs> tomfoolery in tennis this year. Well, there really was nothing for the men. Nothing, because you have here a few WTA ones. I think uh, our our listenership are mostly WTA heavy, you know? Mm-hmm. Satna Shah said that she wanted slams for Coco and Aunts. Got one of those. Mm-hmm. Got a final for another. Sabalenka slam from Bless Amy's Heart. Check. Resurgent Andrescu, Osaka, Fernandez, Kennan. Now, this was before we found out that Naomi was pregnant. Right. But we know that she's going to be back for Australia. So these... These could work for 2024. Andrescu injured for large swaths of the season again. Fernandez on the come up in the fall season. And we saw Kennan have spurts of Kennan. Yeah, I, th- I think you had like a one, 1. 1.5 out of 4 on that one. Damn. <laughs> and that was from Shannon. We also got from TikTok Tennis, Carolina Muhova resurgence. Not just a one-time thing, a consistent top 5 level. We saw a lot of that this year. Game set flop wanted the same thing, a healthy Muhova and intact. And look at God. We got it. And Adarianu on Twitter, at Hoya Pinoy, said Layla defending Monterey and making a splash at another slam, hopefully RG. Well, look at you. She did defend Monterey. She did that. Roland Garros doubles runner-up. Right? So maybe not the splash you were hoping for in singles, but a huge result in doubles at Roland Garros. Three retirements on the men's side that were fill-in-the-blank. Yeah. John Isner, Jack Sock, Feliciano Lopez. All all very MAGA-coded. We also bid adieu to Pablo Andujar, Tomas Bellucci, Juan Sebastian Cabal, and Robert Farah retired, the two-time slam champions, Jim Shardy, Goyovchik, Guido Pea, former in world number 20. And then we had the sad tale of Mikhail Emer. If you recall, he received a drug suspension for a whereabouts violation. and Which means three whereabouts failures. And subsequently retired from tennis at the age of 24 after the CAS rejected his appeal. It was a, a wild ride for him this year because you may not remember that he was also defaulted in Lyon for smashing the umpire chair with his racket. He had a bit of a reputation. Yes. He had cultivated one for himself, but that should not preclude you from having a bit of 
sympathy for him in the situation. Yeah. The agenda is complete. That's it. Wow, that's that is our season in tennis. 38 tennis no, not even because we did have the Serena one. We've recorded 38 episodes to date so far. The next history episode will be number 39 on the year. That is joint second for the most number of episodes we've released in a season. Really? Of the nine seasons of The Body Serve, this is tied second. And I feel very pleased that we also released an episode while we were abroad. While we were in Germany, we released uh, a mailback. So we had recorded it, we edited it on literally on planes and in our hotel room. Planes, and, trains, and automobiles. Yeah. So that I feel accomplished for that. You know, you don't want the people to go more than two weeks without a show, especially in that busy time of year. We try to do at least three a month. That's what we try mm-hmm. to do. I think that's our pace at this point. Yeah. Thank you for listening to uh, season nine of Day In, Day Out Tennis Coverage. No, that's a well, different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's not that we release one every day, but, right. you know, we've got we've got the days covered. We've got rolling agendas year-round. Mm-hmm. Our Google Docs stay lit. <laughs> and uh, another reminder that if you've enjoyed the show, if you'd like to support us in season 10, you can do so by contributing to our GoFundMe. You can find everything related to that, the show, to us at linktree.com slash thebodyserve. Thank you to everybody who's contributed thus far. I think we're up to like 35% of our goal in just a couple days, which is awesome. Look out for our history episode in the next couple weeks. My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. I'm James at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's, signing out for season nine of The Body Serve. Thanks for listening. Till next time. Thank you very much.